0: me to John chapter 15 verse 26 but when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the father the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father he will bear witness about me and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning I have said all these things to keep you from falling away They will put you out of synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I didn't say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asked me. Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of the world is judged this is the very word of god
1: i did fail to mention that if you are a guest with us we welcome you thank you for coming to worship with us and we'd love to know who you are so If you don't mind, grab one of these Connect cards in the seat pocket in front of you. Fill that out. You can leave it in the offering boxes at the front. There's also a box as you leave that says Connect. You can put it there. We'd love to know who you are and be in touch with you this week. Thanks for coming to be with us. So this morning, we are wrapping up a short series that we've been doing here on the subject of the Christian's communion with God or fellowship with God. We've said that uh, that particular subject, this subject of communion with God, is the right of every believer. If you're a follower of Jesus, uh, you have access to God. You have the right to be in communion with him because the essence of being a Christian is to be inseparable, united to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so communion with God is the fruit that comes out of our union with Christ. It is your right as a Christian, your privilege to be in communion with God. We've also said that communion with God is critical to our gospel witness. It's not a bonus to the Christian faith. It is of the essence of the Christian faith to be in communion with God. It's critical to our gospel witness because we are inviting people to come with us into fellowship with God. It's what 1 John chapter 1, verse 4 says. Into this joyful union and fellowship with the God who is there, with the one true God, the God who made heaven and earth. So communion with God is your right as a Christian because you've been united to God through Jesus Christ. And it is essential to our gospel witness because we're inviting others to join us in this joyful communion with him. But this morning, as we wrap up, I want to say that communion with God is about more than just having joy in our life. It's more fundamental than that. It's about purpose and meaning in life. Communion with God is all about answering the question Why are we here? Why are we as God's people still on the earth? What is our task? What is our meaning? What is our purpose in our lives? This becomes clear, I think, most especially as we consider the way we have peculiar union or communion with God, the Holy Spirit. As we consider our communion with this third person of the Trinity, communion with the Holy Spirit, we turn to This passage before us, and actually John 14 through 16, these three chapters, because here, Jesus speaks of our communion with God, the Holy Spirit, four times, referring to the Holy Spirit with a a particular and unusual uh, Greek word, parakletos. Do you want to say it? Yeah, yeah. You want to say it. Parakletos. There you go. Okay, now what does this mean? What what does Jesus mean when he refers to the Holy Spirit with this particular Greek word? It, it means it means that Jesus is our, or the Holy Spirit is our helper, the Holy Spirit is our comforter, and the Holy Spirit is our advocate. We have communion with God, the Holy Spirit, as we know him, first as our helper, secondly, as our comforter, and then thirdly, as our advocate. As God seeks to advance his kingdom agenda in his world, he sends his Holy Spirit to indwell us, to be with us, to be our helper, to be our comforter, and to be our advocate. So first, the Holy Spirit is our helper as God advances his kingdom agenda and kingdom purpose through our lives. The four times that Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit as our parakletos, the ESV translates it every time as our helper. It's a good translation, by the way, for the Greek word because it simply means one who is called to the aid or the help of another. The question is, why do we need the help of the Holy Spirit? What is the task that we have that requires the Holy Spirit's help? A helper is needed if there is something that needs to be done that is either impossible to do by yourself or extremely difficult to do on one's own. If I come up to you after the service and say, hey, hey, Can you help me? Your your response to the question you're likely to be wondering is, with what? Why do you need my help? What is it that you're trying to do? Our text before us this morning begins with an answer to that question. Here at the end of chapter 15, Jesus says that the helper will bear witness about me. And you also, Jesus says, will bear witness. So the Holy Spirit is sent to help the disciples continue to to bear witness to the Jesus reality, to the kingdom of God that Jesus said he had come to inaugurate. Even though Jesus himself will no longer be visibly present, the Holy Spirit comes to help the disciples keep Jesus and his movement, his agenda, very much present. The Holy Spirit would help the disciples make sure that in the days following his ascension to heaven, Jesus and his kingdom were not forgotten, ineffective, inconsequential. You'll remember, perhaps, when we turn to the book of Acts, the first chapter, At Jesus' ascension into heaven, Jesus again said to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then what? What will they do? You will be my witnesses, he says, in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and all the way to the end of the earth. Now, if we read our Bibles in a different sort of way, we will miss what I think is the obvious point. Jesus' claim when he came was that he had come to bring all of Israel's great Old Testament hope and expectation to fulfillment. He had come to inaugurate the long-awaited kingdom of God. The rule of God on earth as in heaven. This was Jesus' claim. Now, when Jesus died, it was not a setback, but the very point of his kingdom inauguration. His resurrection was not simply a way of validating Jesus or proving that he was, in fact, the Son of God. It was the way of overthrowing everything that could possibly stand in the way of his kingdom being inaugurated on earth as in heaven. So the mission of the church then, the mission of his disciples, the mission for you and me is not, listen carefully, is not to prepare for Jesus to become king, but to implement the reality of his having already become king. Do you see the difference? So as Jesus ascended to the father, he was now going to entrust to his disciples the work of bearing witness to him And to this great reality in the world. They were now to get to work making it known in word and in deed that God's kingdom had at long last come. And that Jesus was the Lord of this kingdom. That's the task. That's the mission. And that is what they would need help doing. This is the work that you and I as Christians today need help doing. And this is what the Holy Spirit was sent to help us do. Because now at the beginning of chapter 16, Jesus warns his disciples. And every Christian, every person who comes to faith in Christ needs to be warned. This mission, this calling, is a dangerous task and a dangerous mission. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be all kinds of opposition. Here's how Jesus says it, the beginning of chapter 16. They will put you out of the synagogues. These Jewish Christians are going to be excommunicated from Israel. Here they are proclaiming that the great hope of Israel has, has come to fulfillment and The official leaders of Israel are going to excommunicate them. Sounds like the task is not going to go so well. Indeed, he says, listen to this the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. So Jesus warns that the work of advancing his kingdom in the world will not come easily, it will be incredibly challenging. You read on through the book of Acts, and it tells us about the kinds of challenges that the first Christians encountered. But at first, it seems to all start out really well. The picture painted at the end of Acts chapter 2 sounds incredibly, incredibly promising. People coming to faith in Jesus as Lord, receiving food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and The text even says, having favor with all the people. I mean, this is a glorious kingdom. This is a kingdom of God who is good. And God is adding day by day more and more people to the faith. Then you get to chapter 3. The story continues to be amazing. Peter and John see a man who could not walk, and they heal him in the name of Jesus. Everyone is amazed. This is an incredible power. Peter and John hurry to explain that this is a sign not of a power that they have, but a power that has come with the reality of the kingdom of God inaugurated through Jesus. And the result? It got them arrested, it got them thrown in prison. And then it came with a threat, with a warning. Here it is, Acts 4.18. Do not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Here's the threat. Go ahead and heal people if you want. That's fine. Just don't say anything about that crucified criminal Jesus. Go ahead and take credit for it yourself if you want. But don't attribute it to the power of that one crucified on Golgotha. Even to this day, the world will be just fine with you and I doing works of God's kingdom, but as soon as we open our mouths and start talking about Jesus, it's going get to you, get you into some trouble. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. You see, the kingdom of God does not advance the way any other kingdom advances. The kingdom of God advances through what I would like to call and submit to you as a peaceful subversion. It's about as counterintuitive as it could possibly be. No kingdom on earth could ever survive like this, which is why we need supernatural help. So consider it this morning, peaceful subversion. First, peaceful. The kingdom of God does not advance through violence. The kingdom of God does not advance through human wrath and violence. It does not come through tanks and torpedoes, nor through weapons and warfare. The kingdom of God advances Through prayer, on our knees, not through our fists. After all, the gospel announcement is that there is a king over the universe, and his name is Jesus, not Caesar. The way this kingdom will advance will be through a different kind of power, not the one the world is all too acquainted with, with the Caesars who have come and gone through human history. Not like those who stake their claim on force and a show of power. Jesus rules through self-giving love. But make no mistake, this is radically subversive to all the Caesars of the world. All right, the Caesars will say, take your religion And have it all you want in private. But leave it there. We who are called to be citizens of God's kingdom need the help of the Holy Spirit to be both peaceful and subversive. To hold these two things together. And when you experience this kind of help in your jobs... In your homes, in your workplace, in your neighborhoods, then you will find yourself in desperate need of the Holy Spirit, and maybe praying a prayer like the one Peter and John prayed in Acts 4:29 to 30. Here it is. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants. To continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. That is the prayer of a church on mission with the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, second, we experience communion with God, the Holy Spirit, when we experience Him not just in general as our helper, but some translations will translate the word parakletos as comforter. In fact, in John Owen's book that we've referenced a few times in this series, Communion with God, he says this is the peculiar way, comfort, in which we find communion with God, the Holy Spirit. The fellowship we have with the Holy Spirit, Owen writes, consists in no small portion of it in the consolation that we receive from him, the comfort we receive from him. Here in John 16, as Jesus is speaking about the trouble and the difficulty that lies ahead of his disciples, he reassures them again with, the, with this word about the parakletos. He tells them that he is going to the Father in verse five. Look at it. But then he notes that his going to the Father has brought sorrow to the disciples in verse six. I mean, just put yourself in their shoes. If Christ's disciples are going to have these great challenges ahead of them, doing the work that Jesus is calling them to do, the least Jesus could do is hang around for a little bit, don't you think? I mean, God, this is a great challenge. Why are you? Why in this moment where you're sending us into this great task, are you going to leave us? Look then at what Jesus says in verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, imagine that. How could Jesus say this? What could possibly be better for you and I in the mission God's called us to do than to have Jesus' presence right there bodily with us. What could be better than Jesus' presence with his disciples? Answer, Jesus' presence within his disciples. And this is what the Holy Spirit is for us today, and we are better for it. Because wherever you are, the Lord is with you by His Spirit. Jesus in the flesh could only be in one place at a time, but by His Holy Spirit, He is with you all the time. Now that being the case, Paul can write in Philippians four. I I, I thought of this this week because it's in our prayer guide on Wednesdays, and so. We were praying this, mo- this past week on Wednesday morning, reading this passage together, and here's what Paul can say. Because the Holy Spirit is the presence of God with you everywhere you go at all times and all places, here's what the apostle could say. Rejoice, always rejoice because the Lord is near. He is right there with you. Wherever you are, you say, where is God? The answer is, with you. With you in your sorrow. He is a comforter. Then Paul can say, so this is how we should be known. As a people, since God is with us, near, at hand, we should be known for our gentleness with everyone. Always being gentle. Why? Because God, by his Holy Spirit, will comfort us even when it feels like or seems that we are being treated or lose unfairly. Then he says this, not only rejoice always, be known for gentleness, but because the Lord is near, do not be anxious about anything. How can you be anxious when you have God not just at your side, but within you, comforting you? in the most fear-inducing circumstances that he calls you into. So, do you see it, Christian? It is better, it is to your advantage, Jesus says, that he goes away and sends the Spirit, because then God will be near, very, very near, nearer than you could have ever possibly imagined. One of our disappointments with God to this day comes because we're not very Trinitarian. God the Father, yes. Show us the Father, Philip says. God the Son, Jesus, God in the flesh. Oh, that was amazing. Yes. Holy Spirit? Hmm. I guess. If you say so, not very impressive. Unless, of course, you're one of those charismatics, right? Then it's really amazing. Well... I don't know how charismatic we're going to get this morning. It's not looking too promising yet. But I will say this. I hope we can at least not be heretics. So can we do that? So listen, the Holy Spirit is not Jesus, but he is just as much God. Having the Holy Spirit within you is not a consolation prize, for not having Jesus by our side. Also, when Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away, do not think this means, oh, God, help us. Do not think this means that Jesus had to fly up into the sky and then dissimulate down into the Holy Spirit as if God, the Holy Spirit, could not also be here at the same time that Jesus was here. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Understand then what Jesus was speaking about when he talked about the events of his death, his burial, his resurrection, and then ultimately his ascension to the Father's right hand. His ascension means that he has taken control of the world. He is, as one New Testament scholar likes to say it, he is in the CEO's office, Jesus is saying, it is to your advantage that I go away because I'm going to the Father's right hand. I am going to the control room of the entire universe. And there, at my Father's right hand, as the crucified, risen, and ascended Lord, I will be king over the universe. This is the defining moment of all human history, it's the turning point of all, of all history. So while in John 14 to 16, as Jesus is speaking about the parakletos, coming to be our comforter, the disciples are deeply sorrowful. In Acts chapter one, when he ascends into heaven, they go away rejoicing. Why? They know what some of us have not yet figured out. Until Jesus goes away into the CEO's office, the Holy Spirit will not be sent by him to comfort his disciples in their mission. Asking why that has to be so is like asking why it is that, at least in our, in our nation, why it is that once a president is elected, he hasn't yet started administrating. Because there has to be an inauguration. And the ascension to the Father's right hand is the inaugural event. It is the guarantee that this kingdom of God has broken in on earth. So now that Jesus has been inaug- now that the kingdom of God has been inaugurated, now that Jesus has taken his place, this will then mean the coming of God's Holy Spirit to indwell, as the prophet said would happen all along, all of God's people, from the least to the greatest, from the least to the greatest. Now you and I have always lived in this era. You didn't know a time other than the time when Jesus was reigning. So we don't know what it might have been like otherwise. But you can read about it. You can read about how the world in the 2,000 or so years since Jesus became king of the universe, you can read about how the world has been utterly transformed by Christ and his spirit poured out upon his people. The world we live in today is just not the same because of the coming of Christ. To take one example, by the way, just finished reading recently a large book called Dominion written by a historian who's not even a Christian, giving example after example of how the the whole world has been totally transformed by the coming of Jesus and his peaceful, subversive kingdom. Here's one example. In the Roman Empire in the first century, you got a child you don't want, just what you do. Just throw him out on the street. The world we live in today, at least in civilized countries, we would never think about such a thing. And that whole mindset was shifted by the coming of Jesus and his spirit and his people. So, God is at work by his spirit and his people. And yes, sometimes this means dramatic, miraculous things. Charismatic, if you'd like. But often, it is simply the parakletos coming as a comforter. Romans chapter 8 speaks this way. The spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings, too deep for words. Have you ever experienced that? You ever found yourself in a difficulty so overwhelming that you don't even know what to say to God? The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. And then when we get to the familiar verse in Romans 8, verse 28, the text does not mean that God makes everything turn out all right for us thank you god he makes everything turn out good that's how you've probably heard it but actually the text is quite explicit it means that in everything god works with those who love him to obtain what is good It's the same verb that's used at the very end of Mark's gospel, which says this about his disciples. They went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. It's a strange reality of God's Holy Spirit at work within his people. It's the kind of thing that I still to this day am amazed at when I hear Christians who have gone through immense suffering, say at the end of it all, you know, I don't think I would have traded it for anything. Because of the comfort of the Holy Spirit working with me to bring about good. The comfort of the Holy Spirit. Now finally, we experience communion with God, the Holy, the Holy Spirit, when we experience him not only as our, just our helper, not only as our comforter, but as our advocate. Now, that's another way of translating the word parakletos. What does it mean? Well, it means a helper. It means our comforter. It means our advocate. And it stresses the fact that the Holy Spirit helps us by pushing forward sometimes in spite of ourselves, the success of the kingdom of God. You realize that to be a Christian, to be a part of God's kingdom work in his world today, you can't lose? Here's what it says. That the coming of the parakletos guarantees that God's kingdom is going to advance in spite of all obstacles. In spite of the suffering, no matter what comes, there's nothing that can stand in his way. The Holy Spirit, John Owen writes, pleads the cause of Christ against the world. Yes, he's going to get his job done. He cannot fail. Success is guaranteed, so don't fear. Do not be anxious. It will not utterly depend and ultimately depend on us. It will depend on God who will get it done by his Holy Spirit at work within his people. Here's how Jesus says it in our text. Look at it in verses 8 through 11. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. As we proclaim Jesus in word and in deed, the Holy Spirit continues to do what Jesus himself did. He convicts the world. He turns the tables on the world in the three areas that seem to matter most. First, concerning sin. He says, because they do not believe in me. Sin here is defined as doing things our way rather than God's way. Taking God's world and doing what appears to be kingdom work, but doing it for our own praise and our own glory and our own satisfaction rather than for the praise of God alone. And by the way, there are incredibly effective things that can be done in God's world our own way. The Bible warns us of this very early on. Genesis 11, the story of the building of Babel. Remember the story? Yes. Apart from God, amazing things can be done. Devastatingly amazing things. Practically everything that God made, all of which God declares at the end of creation as good, can be twisted and turned to our own deviant purposes and goals. Sometimes, It's difficult to know the difference. Uh, Yesterday, our family went out and watched the air show. Well, saw Ryan and David there. We got there for the only part that matters. We got there for the Blue Angels just at the end. Uh, It's an amazing thing. I've seen them before. Still amazing to watch them. How many of you made it out to the air show? All right. I think you got one more chance today. I looked this up this morning cuz I don't know I don't know what you were thinking David but as I was watching them I was thinking this is impressive. I mean what what human beings have figured out about God's world and have made I mean both the explosive power of the blue angels flight what are those things called Ryan were those planes F-18 Super Hornets. That's all you gotta know. But also the controlled power as they s- could slow down and almost hover across. It's amazing. So I looked it up this morning because I had a feeling. What were they doing? Why do they do this? Here's what, it, here's what their website says. The mission of the Blue Angels is to showcase the teamwork and professionalism of the United States Navy and Marine Corps through flight demonstrations and community outreach while inspiring a culture of excellence and service to country. Sound good? Excellence and service. Wonderful. May God fill the world with more excellence and service. Those are Christian impulses, by the way. But never forget, behind it is the reality of war and the power of the United States military. Think the world's watching? Oh, for the day when such realities can exist for the glory of God alone. May God hasten the day. Maybe I'll fly one of those things in the new creation. Probably not. I think I'd lose my lunch really fast. You see, the problem of sin because they don't believe in me, they take all of the possibilities of God's world and use it for devastation. Concerning righteousness, he says, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. The Holy Spirit will convict the world of who actually has justice on their side. And Jesus who was vindicated by his death, resurrection, and ascension, means that the verdict of history has already been declared, and it's in favor of the Son of God, the true Lord of the world. And for all who by faith are united to him will share in his verdict, what is true of the Messiah will be true of all his people. Concerning judgment, he says, because the ruler of this world is judged. Here, judgment means condemnation. The verdict for Jesus is therefore also a verdict against all who would oppose him. The ruler of this world and all who are united to him. So this is what the Holy Spirit has come to do, to continue to press forward, to continue to convict the world, that there is a true Lord, and his name is Jesus. Now, as we close, notice what happens here, what Jesus says in John 16, 16 to 22. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna read these verses. You could scan them, but notice that Jesus speaks of a sorrow turned to joy and a joy turned to sorrow. The Holy Spirit will lead God's people from a sorrow that's turned to joy. That will be the progression It will not be great victory and then things become more sorrowful. It will be the other way around, sorrow, distress, but it will be turned to joy. It's like, he says, a woman giving birth to a child. Got a couple who are close in the room today. Very scary, very painful, but incredible joy that follows. And Jesus is using this to put before us a picture, a reality of what is about to happen. Jesus is going away. It will be in this moment for his disciples some of the darkest, scariest moments in history. The one we thought was the Messiah is now dead. Guess we go back fishing. What else can we do? The one we thought had come to rule the world is crucified. On Calvary's cross, but Jesus says, hang on a moment, because soon, very soon, there will be a birth, there will be a, a new world, there will be a, a new creation, a new beginning. This is the world that you and I inhabit today the world that you and I live in, work in, and play in. It is God's world. And our task through communion with God's Holy Spirit on our knees, in community, day after day, is to advance God's kingdom purposes. How will we do it? We don't always know what to do. We don't always know what the right response will be. But the power of the Holy Spirit will help us will comfort us, and will advocate for us until the work is done. As the song says, thank you, O my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit until the work on earth is done. Let us pray. We thank you, O oh God, for the new world that you have brought about through Jesus. The work isn't done yet. For the Lord Jesus has not yet been revealed for every eye to see. But until that day comes, you've not left us as orphans. You are not far from us. No, no. You are near, the Lord is near. How near? The presence of the Holy Spirit indwelling every single one from the least to the greatest of God's people. That's how near. So in every place that your people go today, tomorrow, this week, this month, this year, God's Holy Spirit is at work helping, comforting, advocating, pressing forward the kingdom agenda of Jesus himself. And it is a mission that cannot fail. It cannot fail. Even if we suffer with Christ, we will be raised glorified with him. God works together with those who love him to bring about good. This is the promise of God, substantiated by his Holy Spirit, indwelling everyone who believes in you. So now, oh God, would you give to your people faith to believe your great promise and in communion with your Holy Spirit to get to the task that you've called us to do. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.